Show. Hi, this is Rachel. And this is Natalie. And we are the Insta Mamas. We are sisters with a podcast and we talk about everything from faith, healthy, clean living, adoption, foster care, motherhood, and everything in between. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Natalie. And Rachel. And we are the Insta Mamas. I think we say that already in the intro, so we don't need to say oh, yeah. it again. Okay, well, we're um, super excited. We're recording at night, which is different for us. So if we're a little weird, that's why. And you know, moms, we're tired by the end of the night. Oh, gosh, yeah. How many times have I changed diapers today? I don't even know. So anyways, we're so excited because this is a topic that's been on our hearts for a long time, and we've been just kind of waiting for the right opportunity to talk about it. So today we're going to be talking about all things foster care the good the misunderstood and everything in between so um yeah just before we get started want to just tell you guys we are connected to foster care because our little brother was adopted from foster care and obviously a lot of our adoption and foster care this podcast is about that so we talk about it all the time but i'm excited to just focus only on foster care today and um rachel has a really good perspective she's like the expert on foster care so i'm gonna turn it over to her and it's gonna be kind of an interview style show because rachel knows everything so i'm just well, gonna- i'm no expert and believe me i'm just coming from what i've understood and what i know and if you're listening from different states of course we're in idaho but i fostered in washington and there's a lot of different laws every state has their own regulations and their own laws so i'm just coming at this from what i know from my perspective and my work as a foster parent and working as a foster peer mentor and fostering washington company yes but i'm excited to hear your heart rachel and i think our people will be excited to hear your heart too because um she does have a very um kind and loving heart towards foster care and all that is it's is a complicated topic so let's jump in let's our first question so just if you've never heard of foster care like what is just a basic definition of foster care uh just standing in the gap for families who need it whether children have been removed because of neglect whether children have been removed because a parent had passed away and they didn't have a plan for where their kids should go whether their children are being removed because they were voluntarily placed because a parent wasn't ready and they are overwhelmed so it's really just standing in the gap for that family so kind of some of the main reasons um a child so foster care is caring for a child who's been removed from their home for several different reasons so Mm -hmm. what are some like basic reasons that you experience that kids would be removed from their home The biggest one is neglect and abuse. What I saw in my time as a foster parent and a lot of the misconception too is these are just awful, horrible parents who have neglected and abused their kids. And there are some horrible, awful situations that I saw, but then there are also some parents that just didn't know how to raise a child who grew up in the foster care themselves and aged out when they were 18 and got pregnant when they were 16 and just got in bad relationship after bad relationship and kept having more children, you know. And so they're not all awful parents. They're real people with real struggles. And that was... They need help. Mm-hmm. Well, in some families, like you said, something about 
uh, there was a family where the parents had developmental disabilities themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, not developmental. What is it called? Um, they were they had delays themselves, yeah. and so they just had never learned how to take care of children. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Just something simple as knowing that you should take your kid to the dentist every six months. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that, or that you shouldn't feed an eighteen month old diet coke because they were like oh well it's diet it's okay you know things like that when your kid is already have all of their teeth rotted out and caps on every single teeth you know just not that they're neglecting or not taking care of their children it's just it's the knowledge that they don't have Mm -hmm. so yeah foster care is care for kids that have been removed from their homes and lots of different reasons incarceration Mm -hmm. sometimes um You'd give me the example of a a car accident. A parent gets in a car accident, is like maybe incapacitated or something, and they didn't have a plan for their child, so then they go into foster care. Mm -hmm. So there's lots and lots of reasons. But, yeah, it's we live in a fallen, broken world, and Mm -hmm. so sometimes families cannot take care of their children, and that is a sad reality. But what I'm excited to talk to Rachel about today is some of the beauty and healing and amazing great things that come from foster care too so Mm -hmm. that leads into my next question what are some of the misunderstandings about foster care well the main one a lot of people think that kids are in foster care because it's the child's fault it's like nowhere in this was it ever the child's fault yeah they are the victims most Mm -hmm. of the time and even if a parent voluntarily placed their child into foster care because that one of my foster children their family voluntarily placed them it was not what does that mean they just like Kind of like just giving up your responsibility for your child. Like, I can't do this. Well, maybe it was the parent recognizing that they couldn't handle it, too. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that might be the safest thing that parent could have done. But, yeah, on the outside looking in, it's really easy to be judgmental, huh? Mm -hmm. And another misconception is, like I said before, that every parent that loses their child is this horrible, awful person. We have no idea what somebody is going through. We've never walked in their shoes. I mean... I think about even when I was in college, if there was a time where I didn't have money to buy groceries, I could always call my parents and just say, hey, mom and dad, I need this. But you think about now so many kids aging out of the foster care, even the ones who are successful and made it, when they're living in a dorm room and everybody goes home on Christmas, where do they go? Mm -hmm. It's so sad. And so it's like, how are they supposed to even have a chance? And so some of the families I've worked with, both the mom and dad aged out of the foster care system and didn't have any sex education and got pregnant and kept having more babies and the ignorance, you know, it's not intentionally trying to be bad parents. It's just a lot of the times it's a little bit of ignorance and not the education they need. Well, and also I think a misunderstanding is that every kid in the foster care system is just like impossible to take care of. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Like, I think a lot of us are kind of afraid because we're like, oh, these kids must be so misbehaved. They must be so hard to take care of. Well, and you think about it too. Can you imagine, I think of myself as an adult, if I lost every single connection, my connection to my parents, my connection to my school, my connection to my home, my connection, and then get put in a complete stranger's environment. And you have no idea how these people are going to treat you. Mm -hmm. And you expect this kid to be perfectly behaved? Mm -hmm. I think there's this um, 
misconception maybe for people who are like fresh into foster parenting mm-hmm. or maybe even like Christians who are like okay it's our call to take care of widows and orphans and so we're gonna go help these poor children but then we realize like we're like okay love is gonna be enough mm-hmm. but a lot of these children don't want to be loved right away they are protecting themselves because they have no idea that you're a nice person and that you're gonna love them and be kind to them and provide them a nice clean home mm-hmm. you know it's it's scary for them. It's so terrifying. I can't imagine being a kid and having everything you know taken away. And if you come from a home where there is a cycle of abuse, mm-hmm. with people aren't familiar with the cycle of abuse, what happens is the abuser abuses, whether that's hitting, whether that's yelling, whether that's acting out. But then after that abuse, they're usually really good for a while. Like, oh, I'm so sorry, or... <gasps> oh, I love you, I'll never do that again, and then it's really good, and you kind of have this honeymoon period, and then it strikes again. Something sets off that abuser. If you're a child and you have a parent who goes through that cycle of abuse, and then all of a sudden you're in a home where you're feeling safe and you're feeling loved, and there's a difference between being safe and having a felt safety. Just because the child's in a safe home now, and they could be in your safe home for months, they might not have that felt safety. Because for them, in their mind, they might be thinking, gosh, it would be easier if this person just hit me and got it over with because then at least I'd know it'd be a while before I get abused again. So some of those kids will actually They're act just waiting out. for the other... Yeah, so they'll act out because they're trying to push you because it's more comfortable for them to be in that place of, okay, the abuse happened, so at least there's going to be a reprieve. But that anxiety builds up and builds up and builds up if there's no abuse happening because they're in a normal functioning home. Well, and do these kids even consciously know that's what no, they're they, doing? No, they don't know that consciously. It's all, yeah, it's all And it's a lot easier to say for a child to be like, well, I got kicked out of this home because they, I got kicked out of this home because of my bad behavior. It's not because of me. Because if they're in a home and they're doing really, really well and then they get removed then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, they must not like me for me. And sometimes it's not the foster parent's fault. Like sometimes a foster parent, the kid has to be moved because um, maybe a foster parent had another kid or their license was expiring or they're just, they had things in their own family that had nothing to do with that child and they just had to change, you know. So it's mm-hmm. it's really easy to judge. Uh, I think that's what I've noticed the most either Lots of people judging foster parents and lots of people judging bio parents. Mm-hmm. So can maybe you talk to that a little bit? You started to talk about bio parents. So we say bio parents, we mean biological parents. These are the parents that had their children removed. So from um, an outside standpoint, it's really easy to get angry at these people and be frustrated because their children come into your home and their children are hurt mm-hmm. and and hurt in so many ways. So how do you cope with that or how did you cope with that well yeah and just touching on the judging thing foster parents are under so much scrutiny because what you see in the media i mean they only focus on like the foster parents who locked their kids in a basement you know what i mean like just horrible crazy stories crazy stories and those aren't the norm and believe me i've run into not the nicest foster parents but most of the foster parents that i've known really care about the children and then for some people to say oh well they only take babies it's like, really? Are you going to judge somebody because they opened up their home just it's like, for uh, babies? like, how many kids have you fostered this year? Exactly. But it's like, and babies are hard. They're not they easy babies. If a baby's being removed, most of the time it's because of drugs. 
quite frankly. And so you're taking care of a baby who's up all night screaming and coming off of drugs. I'm sorry. When was the last time you wanted to do that? So if you judge a person like, oh, teenagers are the ones who need a foster parent. They need, yeah, they need it. But they need a foster parent who's equipped to take care of a teenager because I've had teenagers and I wasn't always equipped to take care of them. It takes a lot of work. But if you have the capacity to take in a baby, then you shouldn't be judged for that because you only take babies. Yeah, and you see it in, the, in movies all the time and, and television shows where the foster parents are just depicted so horribly. And you're like, okay, yeah, well, in every demographic of people, you're going to find good and bad people. But, mm-hmm. you know, these foster parents are doing really hard work, too. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways. And it's day in and day out. It's not like it's monday through friday not on the way it's every single day you're sitting with those kids you're taking them to appointments and especially with the babies they have a lot of needs right in the beginning you're not getting any sleep like you're up with them all night long but going back to the biological parents i could get on my soapbox about that of course as being a foster parent you get scrutinized all the time but being on the biological end, when I first was taking the classes, they had three biological parents come in and tell their story of how their kids got removed and how they had the reunification. And you could probably see my eye roll from across the room. And they were talking about how there needs to be this bridge between biological and foster parents. Well, and what's, uh, can I interrupt for just a second? What is reunification? That's when um, biological parents get reunified with their children. So they had them removed. They were in foster care for a certain amount of time, but they did the work and got their kids back. Mm -hmm. Okay, continue. And I remember thinking, like, I'm not in this for the biological parents. I'm in this to help children. I had this holier-than-thou, and I had this sibling group that I had for, you know, for two years. And parents were in the picture for a long time. And so we were... You mean they were out of the picture? They weren't in the picture. Yeah, oh, okay. they were out of the picture. So they weren't coming to visits. They, no phone calls, no letters for quite a while, quite a few months. And then all of a sudden, I'm thinking like, oh, we may get to adopt these children. And I had never been a mom before foster care. I didn't have any of my own biological children. So I was so banking on that. And then when they all of a sudden, we just had this court day and mom and dad show up and... I just couldn't believe it. And I and I remember being so angry sitting there in court and the judge not caring a single word what I had to say. You're she, like, I've been taking care of these kids for the last two years. I brought this newborn baby home from the hospital and these bio parents have just... Well, this was even before the newborn. Oh, this so was- this was about a year before the newest baby was born because this is when they really wanted to try and work hard to get their kids back but they of course struggled with drug abuse and I will never understand that so I cannot judge somebody because I've never been in the shoes of an addict because I used to be like how could you ever choose drugs over your kids but then to see the dad get up and him just break down crying and say I wish I would have never started drugs in the first place I'm so mad at myself for losing my children and my family becoming like this and then the mom saying that like seeing the mom in her heart and seeing how she just like they had nothing so was god starting to like um soften your heart towards these people i felt like i was on a pedestal and in that courtroom like i could even feel my fist tightening when they were first talking about wanting their kids back and thinking i 
rocked your son to sleep when he cried in the night for his mom. I brushed that long, beautiful hair and all the tangles out for hours trying to get the tangles out of that hair. I, I've taken your daughter to speech. I've taken your son to occupational therapy. I have been there for every step of the way. And then you get to come in and say, you're so sad that you lost your children because you were doing drugs. Like my, I literally could just feel my fist and I could feel this like sense of anger. And then all of a sudden God said, you're not their mom. This is their parents. They loved them first. And I just felt like this pedestal break before my feet. And it was pretty emotional. Kind of like our righteousness is as filthy rags. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, even though you were so equipped to take care of those children, um, because you had had a wonderful childhood and parents that loved you and took mm-hmm. care of you. And and you got to grow up feeling loved. And so then you were fully equipped to be able to be the mom that those kids needed in the time when their parents couldn't be there for them. Mm-hmm. And so. that's when the moment I decided, instead of fighting against them, I'm going to come beside them and fight with them. Uh, and I bet it's not like... It didn't hurt after that. Oh, no. And it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like all of a sudden I'm best friends with these people, you know. But it was little things like, hey, they're having an open house at their school and your son is singing in it. Would you like to come? And um, being able to have that communication. Now, I wouldn't suggest that every uh, biological parent that you come in contact with, that you give your phone number and regularly text and everything. But I was able to send them on pictures of her kids on a daily basis and text You guys had her. strong boundaries. Yeah, we had very strong boundaries and we always went through the social worker before doing anything. And this isn't every single case, you know. And you also, some bio parents are not safe to be around their mm-hmm. children where you'd had a little bit of experience mm-hmm. and you knew kind of how to set the boundaries. And well, and I worked at a group so. home before yeah. that. I What's a group a, home? A group home is for... Older children who have severe behavioral problems, most kids are, the kids are on a level system, level one being really perfectly well-behaved kid, level four being the highest level, meaning They need a lot of services, services, yeah. A lot of behavioral needs, and so a group home usually had kids that were in between the three to four range, and so I worked as a staff there, so just support staff for the foster parents. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not like you were... Like, it wasn't your first rodeo. So you knew how to be safe. Because, yeah, we'll talk more about how to get into foster care. And, well, my first but. foster child, our first foster kiddo was 13, a level 3 13-year-old. Hmm. Which is not everyone's calling. Some yeah. people are not ready to take on that. Most people, you know, they start you a little bit easier. I think even the social workers when it's your first placement there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But something, another misconception um, that people think is like, oh, I'm going to foster and adopt the first kid. I think a lot of people foster to adopt. Can you speak to that and how your mind kind of changed through your experience or what? Well, most people, even sitting in our foster care classes, most people, they say, oh, why are you here? And we got licensed for a specific child. That 13-year-old, he, we worked with him in the boys' home. Then he lived with our parents. He was actually our parents' foster kiddo, and it just wasn't working out in my parents' home. And But they were like, we can't send him back to a group home. Because so. he was just he was really struggling in that group home. And yeah. so we kind of were like, okay, well, him and I had a really close relationship, and I thought, you know what? 
So yeah, but but most people in the class, why did they say they were? They said to to foster to adopt, (laughs) and so it's kind of like okay, well the law is reunification. All the laws are set up for reunification, and Child Protective Services is not an adoption agency. That's not the plan. They take the kids out with the hope of putting them back with their parents eventually. Now, is it impossible to adopt? No, because I adopted my daughter from foster care. But if you go into it with the intent that I want to adopt, it may set you up for a lot of heartache. Well, and this is the the calling to take care of vulnerable people you're taking care of these i guess you could even call them temporary orphans but they're definitely vulnerable children but you're also like standing in the gap so that their parents can get well Mm -hmm. and then you know we do live in a fallen world so sometimes the parents never get well and then the kids need to be adopted and have a forever family because that's the most important thing that children are raised in families and that's beautiful too i mean that's my life my daughter and her adoption it's so sad that it didn't work out with her biological mom we understand that in our home and we grieve that loss but we also celebrate the wonderful beautiful girl that she is Mm -hmm. and you don't like um you talk about her mom. Oh, we talk her about her. Birth mom, we call her say. her tummy mom. Her tummy mom. That's cute. She's three, so that's how she understands her. Tummy mom carried her in her tummy, and we talk about her adoption day. We have pictures of her adoption day up in our home. Mm-hmm. One, yeah, that's gotcha day or adoption day um, mm-hmm. is kind of a cool thing that adoptive parents get to celebrate with their kids. It's like having two birthdays, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, there's ways to talk about it in healthy ways. And, yeah, so while we're talking about it, why don't you tell us kind of what happened and what led you to adopting your daughter? Well, that was losing those four kids. So we had the older three for almost two years, and then we brought baby sister home from the hospital. We had her for about five months, and I just so wanted it to go to adoption. I wanted that so badly. I prayed and I prayed that it would go to adoption. I loved those kids like they were my own. I couldn't imagine my life without them. And then when the parents were able to reunify, I needed to come beside them because they put in the work to get their kids back. At first, when I found out they were going home, I was so angry. I was so angry at God. I was so angry at the parents. I was so angry at myself for getting so attached. I was so angry for having a future that I had planned. And I just remember the last night with um, my little girl, the baby, because I was actually visiting my family in Texas for my sister's wedding. And the mom let me have her for an extra weekend so I could take her to meet all my family in Texas. And I'm sitting at the airport and I'm just watching this sweet little girl, her little chest rise and fall. And... I couldn't help it. I just lost it. I'm sitting there at the airport. People thought I was probably crazy sitting there like sobbing while I have this little girl in my (laughs) arms and um, even packing up their stuff. You know, it was just so difficult. It's almost like I couldn't breathe. It just felt like I was... A part of you died. Yeah, I felt like I was just like walking, but I wasn't really there. And I was trying to be so supportive and so happy And when I drove and I handed her over to her mom, I tried so hard to keep it in, but tears started to come down my face. And I just didn't want to let go of this little precious baby, this little baby who had 
fall asleep on my chest, this little baby who I saw smile for the first time, roll over for the first time, who I gave so many kisses to, who I would sing to, and her face would light up when I'd sing to her. And I had all these questions like, are you going to do this with her? Are you going to know to do this with her? Are you going to know that she likes this certain bottle, but she doesn't like this bottle, and she needs this certain type of formula? And I felt like there was so much information I needed to give these parents who are pretty much starting out with four kids brand new and recovering from addiction. But I just had to give up all of that control that I wanted to give up. And then when I put her in her mom's arms, I said, I don't want these tears to think that I'm not happy for you guys. I'm so happy that you guys get to be a family again. And seeing like the oldest was so excited to be with his parents because he was old enough to know his parents and want to go back to his parents. But then the younger little boy like only really knew me as his mom and so as I'm walking down the hallway he's just screaming mommy 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 and his parents are having to hold him so he doesn't chase after me and like can you imagine that he just thinks there goes my mom and she's just leaving me with these strangers like that's all he knows if you think about it you know later in their lives in these in their in their lowest lowest point of these children's lives they were loved and they were loved well and um that's why foster care is so important and i think people are so afraid of that hurt i mean honestly you know it even me i'm like i i feel like foster care is in in our future um you know we adopted our little daughter almost eight months ago now from india and that's what we feel like our calling is but we know that foster care is in our future somewhere and we just are praying through and like when and where and how um but it's just so important how can if if especially if christians don't stand up and stand in the gap who's going to take care of these children in this in between well and so many people say i'm so afraid of getting attached like what that says to us foster parents when you say i could never do that because i would get attached it makes it seem like we are these people who can't get attached and we're these heartless people it's like I lost my four children and I thought I had died. Like, I could barely get up in the morning. I'd walk into their room and it would be cold and I'd see the little Paw Patrol blanket and I'd see the crib and I knew I needed to pack this up and this needed to be a place for another child. But for a little bit there, I couldn't even breathe. And Natalie was there. She saw me. My sisters were so worried about me because they were just like, uh, okay, Rachel. Like, are you going to be okay? Well, we were mad, you know. You know, Rachel is so loving and kind to the parents. But it's something that took me a long time to understand because of my... I was just mad and angry at the parents because I was like, you guys don't deserve it. Rachel can get the kids to all their appointments. And I was kind of getting self-righteous on Rachel's, you know. And maybe Rachel could provide better than the parents could at that moment. But if Rachel, like, it wasn't even allowed like the state wouldn't have allowed it and so even though these parents aren't going to maybe do the same things and not are not able to get them to all their appointments and not able to do the same things Rachel was going to do um they still have a right to be their parents and to try and to learn Mm -hmm. to learn what bottles that little baby wants to, to you know to learn all those things um well and the cool thing is how that relationship ended up is Every year they have this big celebration at the courthouse called Reunification Day. And they just, so once your kids come back and are reunified, 
Child Protective Services is still checking in on you for six months to make sure you're getting them to their appointments, doing everything. They don't just drop your kids back off and say, okay, you're good to go. Like, and you making, have to do drug tests and stuff. They're making, you, yeah. yeah, they're making sure that you're still staying accountable. Well, it's a big celebration for biological parents. Like, foster parents are usually a part of that. Well, they personally called me up and invited me to the courthouse for their unification day. And they thanked me to the judge. And they're like, we, our kids were able to stay together and we're able to come back as a family because this family stood in the gap. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to say I'm holier than thou, I'm mightier than thou, because I sometimes was living on a prayer. You know, that's all I was doing. But to see that those four siblings were together and most siblings are apart their whole time in foster care and they're at a very young age where all that developmental and all that attachment happens and because of that they were able to stay attached to each other and the family that was once broken is whole and that family is thriving now well and those kids went to church while they were with you i mean what tell that story about um gosh when they were unified reunified reunification mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> oh yeah the mom sent me a picture of all of them holding hands and praying at the dinner table and she said oh he won't let us have dinner until we pray first and I just think that's something that will stick with him if I tell him anything else at least he knows that God loves him and will always be there for him mm-hmm. and that no and I know like you said earlier like Christians are like oh if we just have love love is going to be enough um you need more than love. You need experience. You need help. You need all that. But love is never wasted. Well, and you need the love of God and mm-hmm. our love because we're still broken humans too. Yeah. Even though we're, you know, we we need the love of God and we have to give them the hope of Jesus because mm-hmm. really human love is always going to fail them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're thriving. That whole family is thriving. Well, it's amazing because you told me once you said, you know, it's so, I'm so, it's so easy to get angry at these parents, but, um, but they're children of God mm. and God loves them. And that kind of broke my heart. Cause I'm like, gosh, I have not been loving towards these people. And, you know, I never even well, met them. Well, I but. wasn't either. And one of my friends had to tell me, one of my other foster parents would have had to say it, like their biological parents, think of them as the children in your home now when they're grown up. And I think of some of my children that I've had in my home that aren't making the best choices or how even if they had a baby and got them removed, I would still love them and still help them fight to get their children back. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you have to think of it like that. Think of those people as once were your children. In so, your home. yeah, I saw a thing on Facebook that said something like, the bio parents we get so angry at are the kids that we are fostering now. Mm-hmm. Like, you love those foster kids and you would do anything for them and treat them as your own family the second they're in your home. Mm -hmm. But if they grew up and then were making bad choices, it's harder to love them. And, you know, obviously children are are the innocent and they're the victims in this situation, but Mm -hmm. um, you had a chance to... I hope we're communicating this clearly enough because we're both, like, about to just lose it emotionally. First of all, we're both about to cry. It was not easy. It was hard having to give up my children. It felt like a death. And there are times when I still feel like, a, like when one of their birthdays comes up, I just think like, oh, I wonder what you're doing right now. I hope you're being valued. I, and I remember the birthday party that I had with them or the times that I had with them, the, not just like the hard times where you're waking up in the middle of the night and they're crying, but when you're first waking up and they're all 
piled on you and you're reading a book and you're laughing because Silly Miss Millie is such a funny book and you know those types of things like there's the good memories and there's the bad memories are well that was my question I was going to ask you but you kind of went over it I think what's the hardest part is probably um you were mentally preparing yourself to adopt these wonderful children that you loved so much Mm -hmm. and then getting them taken away probably the hardest thing right Mm -hmm. and even kids you didn't think you were going to be able to adopt was it hard to give them back yeah there's there was some that I was so excited for reunification for because you see like their parents worked so hard and you know you loved that child but um I had a young mom that really I was rooting for her and she just had like gotten into a bad relationship you know but I was so happy for her when she got her kiddos back. Like, that was so awesome. And they were in my home, I guess, six months. It's crazy how fast that time goes by. And then there's other ones where it's just a sad situation. Like, they got reunified, and it shouldn't have been. And you get so angry because you're like, the kids are the ones who suffers. But that doesn't mean that you stop. That doesn't mean that you stop standing in the gap. And right when I lost those four kids, you know, I did a lot of respite respite is yeah what's respite when so if a foster parent needs to go on vacation and they can't take their foster kiddo with them because you're not allowed to take kids out of the state unless you get permission but you also have to get permission from their biological parents and not all biological parents are or even if just a foster parent needs a weekend to get away and so you do respite and it's kind of like intense babysitting like it's usually overnight um, you have to have special certification. So, like, um, depending on your state, some people don't know, you can't just have any, like, a teenager from your neighborhood babysit a foster kid mm-hmm. because there's all these, like, protections and background checks. So, respite is this um, to give you respite um, when you're a foster parent because you can't just hire, you know, Sally down the street to come over for a couple hours in the mm-hmm. evening. You know? Well, they have the prudent parenting law, which they just passed, I think, like, in 2015. So, it's fairly new. But that's where, um, if it's less than, I think, 72 hours, you can have somebody who's over 16 that you trust. But then that's on you. If something happens to the kiddos, then that's still on you, you know? Yeah, it depends on your state. But yeah. There's um, a licensing infringement or, like, that's still on you. But respite, you're covered. Like, if you have respite. Yeah, because they have special certifications and they know how to help um, kids with special needs or whatever. Mm. But yeah, so... um, so I just did respite after respite after respite. I so took, that's how you got so many Yeah, I would take like some short-term placements. I had a little boy that we had for two weeks, and we grew quite fond of him in that two weeks. Um, I had these twin girls that came with us and stayed with us a couple months, went home and got a call not even two days later saying, hey, they need to come back. And that's the crazy thing is we had already started transitioning Ariana into our home, my now-adopted daughter, and... Then they were like, oh, guess what? The twins are coming back. But the law is you can't have two under, you can't have more than two under two. So I had these 18-month-old twins and my nine-month-old baby. And so at first they're like, you can't have all these children. And they wouldn't budge. Well, the funny thing is when they first called me, the after hours called me and said, hey, the twins need to come back. So that's like the emergency yeah. placement. <laughs> yeah, after hours is like the emergency placement line that calls you and says, hey, we need a kid in your house in an hour. Are you yeah, and I said, well, I have this nine-month-old baby with me. And they said, well, I'm going to allow it. But she hadn't fully transitioned into our house yet. She was still um, going back and forth from her other foster parents to us. 
And so then the state decided to override that. I guess they never override. And I can see why. Because having twin 18-month-old babies and a nine-month-old baby was so hard. Like, oh, my goodness. I used to put the little girls in the wagon and then put Ariana's infant car seat on the wagon. And so I had the three of them. And I would just pull the three in a wagon. And I have this really funny story of... One day, the twins were on a visit with their parents, so they were gone, like, the whole day because they had a back-to-back visit with mom and dad. So I had, like, the whole day with just Ariana and I, and for some reason, instead of just enjoying a day with just my daughter, I decided to do this multifamily yard sale with my friends. And so it was, like, 90 degrees. It was in the middle of summer, and I hung out all day outside with my little baby, and... Then at the end of the yard sale, I'm the one with the van. So they were like, hey, can you take all this stuff to Goodwill? <laughs> You're going no anyway. And I have a hard time saying no. So I took the twins' car seats out of the van. And you, if anybody knows, like car seats are a pain to take in and take out. And I fold the back seat down, load it up, take the stuff to Goodwill. And as and then when I go to put the seat back in, the van seat, I smash it on my hand. So my hand is all swollen and purple, and I'm trying to put in car seats back in because now I need to go pick up the twins. So I'm trying to put the car seats back in, and my hand really hurts. I go pick the twins up from their mama, and of course they're emotional. They want their mom, and they're crying, and I'm like, oh, poor babies, and I'm on my way home to go home and I like am dreaming I'm like oh I can't wait to get into bed and get the kids to bed and then I'm just gonna go to sleep and then all of a sudden I'm like oh my goodness it's the twins birthday tomorrow I need to pick up their birthday cake and and Rachel I just she for every foster kid if they had a birthday when they were in her home she went all out she did the whole thing decorations usually rented a place like cake Presents. She wanted to make it so special so that they would have a really, really special birthday. And so, oh my gosh, I just want to interrupt the story real <laughs> quick to tell you that. Yeah, she had the best birthdays for her kids because she wanted them to remember that. And well, if that special. was the only good birthday they were going to get, I wanted it to be mm. rememberable or memorable. Sorry. <laughs> and so we get to Albertsons, and it's not a place I normally shop because if you guys know, it has more expensive groceries, but they do make wonderful birthday cakes. And I... We're not sponsored by Albertsons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I start to get all the girls out into the... Um, shopping cart and I was like okay I need to get this cake tonight because if I wait tomorrow we're not going to have time to get all the birthday party stuff and ready and taken over and Ariana I pull her out of her car seat and she's had a major blow up like up her back and so I'm getting her out I look in the diaper bag and there's no diaper wipes I'm like how are there no diaper wipes I have three kids in diapers how do I not have diapers? that's why you don't have diaper wipes (laughs) because you have three kids in diapers I have to take this like child with a mess all over her into Albertsons buy the expensive diaper wipes because you know they have the more expensive brand take her into the bathroom get her all cleaned off meanwhile the twins are just screaming their head off because they just had a very emotional day they saw mom and dad and now I have them in the grocery store I'm trying to change and Ariana's always been like this happy giggly girl and while it's savage she's just laughing and the twins are screaming I get her all cleaned up I just throw away the outfit she was in I'm like there's no saving this outfit so she's in like Luckily, I had an extra pair of clothes. So I bring her out. As I'm walking out of the bathroom, my flip-flop breaks. And I want to cry. But I was like, no, you came in here for that birthday cake, and you are getting that birthday cake. So I walked 
through the Albertsons with one shoe on. <laughs> My hair was a mess. I was sweaty from all day at the garage sale. I was wearing like t-shirt and yoga pants and stains all over it and I walk up to the bakery I get my cake I pay for it and I walk out of that place with my head held high and one shoe <laughs> so I think that's I think people on the outside looking in are like ah oh, when you become a foster parent and you invite well any okay people like chaos <laughs> you, in some ways but then also that's parenthood in general right yeah. when we choose to be parents we whether it was in on purpose and you had to do all the paperwork to be a foster parent or it just happens and it's a surprise it, it just it complicates your life your clean squeaky clean life all of a sudden and that's I think a, a beautiful vision of how God sees us as his children we're these messy mm-hmm. uh, making all you know and and he loves us anyways I just think it's such a beautiful picture so I guess that kind of leads in we talked about some of the hard parts what are some of the the best parts um, of course, there's always, like, for any kind of parent, there is joy. But what is something that you only get specifically from being a foster parent? I think just, like, how much resiliency you see a child have and how they can go through so much, yet they themselves can find joy and be kids again. For example, I had this little boy in my home who, even if I'd, like, go up to him, he'd flinch. He was always flinching. Every step he took was calculated. He thought it through everything. And, like, he was so tense. You could see his shoulders, like, tense up. He Even when he talked. He, but he was the sweetest little boy. Best behaved, was so well behaved. And I think that really good behavior came from he was afraid to mess up. And he was kind of afraid, like, what are they going to do to me if I mess up? To all of a sudden, relaxed shoulders with the bounces and stuff. Now he's bouncing around the house, calling it my room, p- making plans like, oh, if we go camping this summer, can we go here? Like mapping out camping places and planning for the future. When before it was always, when can I go home to my mom? When can I? I hope my mom's okay. Oh, when we were at our visit, she had a black eye. Do you think a guy gave her that, or do you think she accidentally got hurt? You know, like so much anxiety. When it even being like, when are you going shopping? What do, What are we eating for the next meal? Mm-hmm. Like always asking you about food. Always asking you, like, so because he never had had that security and that Mm -hmm. safety. And I would keep a calendar of what the meals would be up on the fridge so the kids know, okay, this is what we're having. One fun thing that we did, which is so funny now that I'm on keto and eating healthier, I can't believe I used to do this because I was like, oh my gosh. Um, we would do this monthly snack subscription. And so the kids would get to pick what they, you could pick which kind of snack box you wanted. So the kids would take turns and it would be things like Rice Krispies and Oreo cookies. And the teenagers loved it. Like, oh, I bet. They, but they would go through half those snacks. Like it's supposed to be a monthly snack rig, but it lasts like a week in our house. <laughs> and just seeing that, or even one of our kiddos, he was five. And we pray before dinner because that's what we do. And one day he looked at us and he was like, who are you talking to before you eat your food? <laughs> and we're like, oh, we're talking to Jesus. We're talking to God. And then just a few months later, he, he asked, he said, where does God live? And we kind of explained, well, God lives in my heart, you know. And he's like, well, how? And I said, well, you can ask him to live in your heart and be a part of your life. And he said, I want that. Mm. And he would... And he prayed the prayer, like the sinner's prayer. He prayed it, and he asked Jesus into his heart at five years old. And then his driver one day told me, she's like, this is the most precious kid I've ever met. He has such a heart for God at such a young age. And she was talking about how he heard an ambulance go by. And he said, you need to pray 
for that person if they're hurt we need to pray for them so anytime you're like he had such a heart for god from before he didn't have any idea who god was no idea and now he like has such a heart for god that's amazing and also you mentioned the driver um some people maybe this goes back to our misconceptions question but some people think it's like Uh, don't get me wrong the foster parents do so much work Mm -hmm. but you have a lot of support too Mm -hmm. everything is paid for by the state you get Mm -hmm. a driver to take them to visits and therapies i mean you did a lot of that yourself too well it's hard to find a a driver sometimes to take them to their therapy appointments but um but that's when foster parents come in and help each other like one of the foster kiddos I had, I'd pick up his brother on the way to therapy because they had back-to-back therapy. So I was able to pick up his brother and help the foster mom out that way. And then, mm-hmm. But daycare is paid for. There is a monthly stipend to help with feeding. And um, there is the clo- clothing perk where they can get a stipend to go buy clothes. There is, you get WIC if you're a foster parent with us, women and children's. If anybody knows. Helps you buy healthy milk groceries. Milk and cheese yeah. and uh, eggs. But then you also have foster parent support groups that you can go to. And then, like Natalie said, the drivers that take them to all their visits. So you don't have to take them to their visits. Mm-hmm. They, the state has drivers that provide that for you. And sometimes those aren't always available. And that's especially when you had like five foster kids at one time. Mm-hmm. Of course, you were just pretty much a taxi driver. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there are things available to help um, to help foster parents. So yeah, I hope people understand that so um let's get well, and those some of those drivers are volunteer drivers mm-hmm. so if you don't want to foster and you want to know how you can help sign up to be a volunteer that was driver. my next question rachel <laughs> okay so my next question is okay i really have a heart for foster care but i i cannot do it right now um there's just maybe some circumstances and there's some people that are not um, eligible to be, you know, there's lots of reasons. And um, so what do you say to the person that um, really wants to help but doesn't know how? So a really great thing is you can, there's foster parent support groups. You can choose to be a child care provider. So, for example, I had a foster parent support group all the way, uh, and it was only once a month, and it was like on a Thursday night, once a month, and I just needed people to volunteer for that two hours. It was never more than two hours to just volunteer and watch the kiddos for me. Mm-hmm. And they just had to be 18 and pass a background check. And so you could maybe do that if you want to volunteer in the child care. Um, you can also have a 16-year-old in there as long as there's an 18-year-old accompanied there. So if you're a younger teenager and you want ways that you can help, that's one way. Volunteer driving so you can volunteer to take kids to their visits or appointments. Or another thing you can do is... If you want to help out financially, you can do that. Or even at the foster parent support group. Say, hey, you know there's a foster parent support group in your town? Bake some cookies and bring them over there, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't advocate sugar. You like, can use if, monk fruit instead of sugar. Ki- if they're keto cookies, you can provide <laughs> them. Or even oranges or a vegetable tray. Or bring bring them a meal one night. I've learned, too, as a foster parent, it's really hard to ask for help. Because sometimes people say, how can I help you? How can I help you? And I'm just like... I'm so overwhelmed right now, I don't even know how to ask for help. Well, because when you get a new placement, um, people don't realize you don't get the stipend for like a month after you get a placement. You don't get the clothing stipend until you've had the kid. So a kid might show up with like the clothes they're wearing and a garbage bag with like their three belongings in the world. And, you know, Rachel's not going to wait a month till she gets her stipend to go take them out to get 
clothing. So like if you um, have someone in your community that is fostering, just say, hey, next time you get a placement, tell me and give them a $20 gift card. Um, or, you know, go buy the clothes yourself because that's another thing they have to do. They have to sometimes have less than an hour's notice to mm -hmm. go get the child. The child might have no clothing. Um, and Rachel was always, it's so sweet, she always wanted every kid to have new bedding and new pajamas. So every, you know, nighttime is a scary time for these mm -hmm. kids who've just been, you know, taken out of their families and their whole lives disrupted. So at least in the most vulnerable time at nighttime where it can be scary in a place you don't know, at least they have clean pajamas and clean bedding and and luckily pizza delivery places usually deliver pretty late so mm -hmm. if i got a plate a kiddo come i i know it's placement is like the term but i don't even like saying placement because it is a child mm -hmm. that's it coming into your so home it seems so like cruel but but uh yeah because most kids are safe with pizza like most kids like pizza so i always have food right away so when they walk in my door there's food available. I always gave them a tour of the house. Like, this is where my room is. This is where your room is. This is the kitchen. You're more than welcome. If you're hungry or need a snack, please, this is where you can help yourself out. I always kept a basket of snacks in each kiddo's room. Um, some of them never even touched the snacks, but just having it there. It's a safety thing. Gave knowing. them a sense of security. Yeah. And some kids eat all the snacks the first night. Cause yeah. For the same reason. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just uh, so... But those things cost money and, you know, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, maybe you're going to be the snack provider or you're going to, you know, when someone brings a newborn baby from the hospital, a lot of churches have two or three weeks of meal trains, mm -hmm. but you're trying to figure out how to take care of a seven-year-old mm -hmm. and enroll them in school and oh, yeah, treat them for life. you got to enroll them in school. And get them all their therapies and no one's bringing you meals, you know, so... Um, and I'm not saying this to be like judgmental to the church. I think a lot of us, we just don't know what to mm -hmm. do. We honestly don't know. what. And so sometimes it might be, you just have to be like, hey, I'm bringing a meal on Thursday. What time would be good? Instead of saying, can I do something for you? Just say, I'm bringing you a meal. Mm -hmm. Because I think it is really hard. And some people will be like, well, you chose to be a foster parent. So you should, you know, I'm like, okay, first of all, and it's, it's a it's, it's an a amazing calling, calling. Yeah. yeah not everyone can do it and so i think that uh, so many things you can sign up to do respite which you know so you can babysit and even do overnights for your friends who have um, and you get paid for it well, so that's a cool thing what was so cool one of the moms that i had that were one of the biological moms when she got her children back her a whole group of people in her church went and got background checked so they could help her out with her kids I think, see, like, that's, that's the church beautiful. coming together. And then also, you know what I said before about the um, the plastic bag? Um, a lot of churches do a campaign where they um, even lightly used luggage or duffel bags, or some people will go buy brand new ones and just put, like, first night things like toothbrushes, um, a pair of pajamas. Some underwear. Some underwear. A blanket. You know, blanket. Just the things that a kid would need their first night if they had nothing, which m many of these kids do have nothing when they leave their homes. And so they're not carrying their possessions in a plastic garbage bag. Well, and that would be a fun thing for the youth group to do, mm -hmm. um, just have a duffel bag drive and mm -hmm. say, and then, you you know, like Operation Christmas Child, you say what age the child is, mm -hmm. what you're putting in the box, whereas this one, it's a duffel bag. So say you wanted to do one for a teenager, put some makeup in there, put some brush, put a razor, mm -hmm. like things that you wouldn't think of that a teenager needs. Uh, feminine products. Yes, uh, exactly. Like For girls, you know, imagine and how hard being a 16-year-old girl is and then 
going home to home. And going to a stranger's home and needing tampons. And are you afraid to ask your new parents, like, okay, my foster parents, I need some tampons. Like, how awkward is that of a conversation to have with strangers, you know? But if you have a, a box in this bag that's giving you so that's just one of the ways so many more ways we're actually going to post some of these on our instagram and then also um uh in the you guys can always dm us or um ask us more because there's so many more but what were you saying and a fun thing to do is a foster parent shower like when you first become a foster parent mine was a little bit different because we were licensed from zero to 17 but if you say for example if you know you're only going to have two to six and you have a big foster parent shower like you would as a baby shower only you'd say can you please bring in shampoo and conditioner and toothbrushes like that and underwear and you just have kind of like a shower like you would if you were having a regular baby and just celebrate this amazing difficult calling because it's not easy that's i I, it's hard because we we wanted to show all the beautiful parts and i know this kind of became a heavy heavy uh, talk because it is it's not God's plan that children should be separated from their parents it's not he designed the family to be a certain way and and it just shows our broken world and so we as Christians can try to like we keep saying stand in the gap um, spiritually stand in the gap physically stand in the gap emotionally stand in the gap um, so the last thing I want to leave us with is there are some of you that are listening to this today specifically because you're like oh I really want to do it or you've been on the the fence for a really long time and you felt this calling in your heart you're right as you're listening you're probably sobbing like we are almost sobbing at any minute of this podcast but Rachel what would you tell the parent that is like I really want to step out I really want to be a foster parent but I'm just I'm for all the reasons, I'm maybe afraid, or I don't feel like I can, or I'm not strong enough, or I would get attached. What would what would you tell them? Well, I would say, just put that trust in God. If God calls you and takes you there and leads you to there, take that leap of faith because He's gonna bring you through it. It's not gonna be easy, but it's gonna be worth every step of the way because I would do it. I would say goodbye to those children over and over and over and over again if I knew the time I'd have with them, and. I can't understand God's plan or timing any things. And I know a lot of people say, well, now is not the right time. Now is not the right time. And maybe I'm not ready to be a foster parent. But you know what? These kids were never ready to be an orphan. Mm. And these kids deserve somebody who will get attached. They deserve somebody who will break into a million pieces when they have to say goodbye to them. Don't you think those kids deserve that kind of love? And now if you really feel like it's something that you should do i was just say i would just say move forward at least go to the classes you go to the classes and start the process it's not a commitment that you're making just go to the classes and god will show you one way or the other and maybe it's maybe the point is he's just breaking your heart for these kids so you can be more involved in helping foster parents but um yeah god will close the doors if he doesn't want it to happen when i think in today's christianity we've gotten so comfortable with where we're at we we aren't these persecuted Christians having to have underground church. I mean, it almost went there in today's society, but I mean, we are living a very comfortable life and it's okay to be uncomfortable. We find the most growth and the most joy when we are stretched, when we are stretched so thin and we need to rely on God so much. That's when we find the most joy. That's when we find, and my life isn't perfect. I've had a lot of mistakes. I 
wasn't always the best parent, you know, but I tried my best with the kids and I can definitely say that I loved every single child that came through my home. Even the ones that were really hard to love. I loved all of them. And those are the ones that needed the most, huh? Mm-hmm. So the kids that need the most love will show it in the most unloving ways. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would go back and do all of that over again in a heartbeat. Yeah. And ultimately it led me to my daughter. Mm-hmm. Out of 26 kids, she was the 20th kiddo to come into our home, and she was the forever one. That's amazing. Well, like you said, God doesn't call us to a comfortable, easy life. Even Jesus was like, I don't always have a place. Like, if you follow me, I can't guarantee you'll even have a place to live. Like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, much less that you'll have a comfortable life. And um, so maybe God's calling you out of your comfort zone today. I know even me... I'm not a foster parent, but this talk is kind of shaking up some things that are in my heart for adoption and for, um, you know. Well, and some of the myths, like, oh, it has to be a two-parent home. You can be a single foster parent. You can be a full-time working foster parent. You can live in an apartment. You don't have to live in a house. Like, there's a lot of myths that are Mm -hmm. out there. And so I would just do your research. Don't say, oh, I probably can't do this because of this. Well, before you say that, go find out. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, if God's calling you to it, he will provide everything you need. And we as a church should come together, come behind foster parents. And, uh, yeah, hopefully this has given you guys a lot to think about. Thank you so much, Rachel, for being vulnerable. I know some of these things are still really hard to talk about. (laughs) Um, Just what a beautiful testimony that God uses us in our brokenness and puts families back together Um, protects children in their most vulnerable hours. So um, if you guys have any more questions about this topic, I'm sure we will be talking about it more in the future. And our past podcasts, Rachel gives a lot of her um, stories about foster care too. So if you guys want to learn more, you can see our Instagram. It is Instamamas, Nat and Rach. (laughs) Um, And uh, DM us. uh, And we would love to answer all your questions. And yeah. Have a great night, folks. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening.